Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So we're talking about the word tithing, which means we're talking about money. Everyone's favorite. I mean, who doesn't love coming to church and talking about money? Everyone's favorite topic. It's just what gets everyone warm and fuzzy inside, right? You come here, it's like, ooh, we get to talk about money today. When really, most people are like, oh, great, the church is hurting for money. Lifehouse is hurting right now. We're struggling, man, and if the pastor's talking about it, we must be really, really bad off. Actually, it's the total opposite. We're actually doing really, really well. And what I want to show you really quick, just so you know, I'm not lying. Everything's good. This sermon today is not, you know, doesn't have, uh, doesn't have impure motives in it. It's not like things are going bad, so we got to talk about money. So just want to give you a, a, a quick financial report, mid-year giving report. Uh, so far, from January to the present date, we've had total given $200,000 or $200,531. You can see right over here where that has been allocated and spent. So giving is up actually 25% more than where we were at last, last year. So it's a good thing. Give God a hand. You guys are doing well. Give in. And so, and so look, today's sermon is not born out of a, uh, you know, you need more, you need more, you need to give us more money because we're struggling. No, we're actually doing good. But the bottom line is this, y'all. We can't separate money from our faith. Why? Well, honestly, what we see Jesus spoke about money and possessions, 40% of his recorded teachings. So, so just think about this. If I was like Jesus... I would speak about money four, or four out of 10 sermons. Four out of 10 sermons. Like, can you imagine me talking about money four out of 10 sermons? I'm pretty sure there wouldn't be as many people here. So you'd be like, oh, that pastor talks about his money. He just wants money. And that's what people probably said about Jesus. That was, okay, he's just talking about money and he just wants and, and Jesus just wants money for it. But Jesus, he actually talked about money more than heaven or hell, faith or prayer. He actually said, money is the greatest competitor to your devotion and complete dedication to Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, right? I, I know whenever I say that, that word tithe, some of y'all get PTSD. Some of y'all start like twitching and you start having these like weird feelings of, you know, people telling if you don't tithe, you're cursed, and, you know, then you feel guilty because oh, I'm not tithing. And, and here's the thing, right? I, I, I know that word tithe can bring up a lot of preconceived notions, a, a, a lot of preconceived stuff. And, and, and here's the thing, right? Today, what I want to do is I want to help you learn the actual word, what tithe means for us, and how we can actually apply it as Christians in the church, Okay? Everyone got their belt on? Everyone ready to go? Everyone doing okay? No one's passed, passed out yet? Okay? So, like, I've been in church my whole life. 
Been in full-time ministry now, coming up on 13, 14 years, okay? I, re- I-, I remember hearing many, many sermons, many, many offering talks. How many here you love the offering talk? Don't, don't, don't y'all just love offering talks? And most offering talks, when I was growing up, were centered around one particular scripture verse, and that was Malachi chapter 3. And if you know anything about Malachi chapter 3, it talks about tithing. And basically how, if you don't tithe, you are what? Robbing God. And you don't tithe, you're robbing God. And if you don't tithe, you're, you're, you're it says you're actually under a curse. And now me, I was always taught, it's like, if you don't tithe, if you don't give 10% of your income to the church, then you were under a curse. And I was like, I don't want to be under no curse. So I was like, me, I started tithing at 16 years old. I, I was like, me, I was working at Captain George's, Arkhamax. I was working a couple of jobs, and 10% at 16 years old, man, I was giving it to the church, to fund the ministry, all that stuff. And, and um, so, but, but then as I started following Christ and kind of just, and kind of just like looking around, I kind of started to notice that there's a lot of people that don't tithe. And they're doing just fine. So it was like, hold on, like, this Bible, like y'all, y'all telling me if I don't tithe, I'm cursed. I'm tithing. Like, I don't feel like I'm cursed, but I got these people, they ain't giving nothing. And they're buying, like, nice houses and nice cars, and they're buying, I don't think they're cursed. They don't look like they're, they're cursed. But so, so then, though, here's the thing, right? Being in the church game long enough, the pastor thing, um, you can some, sometimes see how that scripture verse is misinterpreted to, to honestly m- manipulate people and give people a fear-based tactic to get them to give. And how, it's amazing what people will, will do when you scare them. It's amazing what people will do when you throw in there, if you don't do this, you're cursed. It's amazing what you can get people to do, especially when you take scripture and say it. And, and really, honestly, what I found is, is that that scripture many times is, isn't, it's not used to encourage people. It's actually used to beat people down, beat people up, and scare them into giving. And what I've seen, I've seen more harm from it. Because I've got people, in that scripture, it says, if you tithe, God will open the windows of heaven and pour down so many blessings you won't be able to contain it. My, my family, my mom, she tithed her whole life. We got the same house. She drove beater cars. But she, but she got a great son. <laughs> no, I was kidding. <laughs> no, but here's the thing, right? I've seen so many people take that scripture verse and, and kind of be like, God, I'm giving to you. Here's your money. And then where's my blessings? I thought you were going to open the windows of heaven and pour down so many blessings. I'm just catching one with this hand, catching one with this hand, trying to catch it with my foot, and I don't see any blessings. And then what, what people actually done, I've, I've seen them. Then they think God's a fraud. They think God is some fraud, that God is some person that, that, that doesn't do what he says, and so they actually turn their back and stop following God because they were given to God thinking he was some cosmic stock, stock market, thinking if I give this, then God will just give something back to me. 
And what I think we've got to be careful of is we've got to take this word tithe and put it in its, here's the key word, context. A text, a biblical text with no biblical context is a pretext for a proof text. Let me break that down. A biblical text, meaning a scripture verse, with no biblical context taking what it says and putting it in its proper context is a pretext for a proof text, meaning you can make the Bible say whatever you want to say if you take a scripture out and, and, and take it and put it and stand it on its own instead of saying, what does this particular say? Is this particular topic, principle taught in the totality of scripture instead of just taking it and making it say what I want it to say? So that's what I want to hopefully do, do today is unmask tithing a little bit for you so we can say, what does this word mean and what does it and what does it mean for us? And here's the thing, right? Pastors are split on this. Like, I'm talking to you today about something that even pastors themselves are split over. Like, we can't even agree. 48% of people believe tithing, 48% of pastors today believe, it's, believe that tithing is for today. But 52% of them don't. So you've got a principle in Scripture that even preachers of the word don't even agree on. So, so, so really today, could you go into scripture and build, a, a build an argument for tithing? I think you probably could. Could you also take the same Bible and build an argument against tithing? Yeah, I think you could. So what do we do? I'm not sure. We're going to build our own argument, okay? <laughs> That's what we're going to do. No, uh, what we're going to do, we're going to actually interpret tithing in light of scripture, and then we're going to say, what does it what does it actually mean for us, okay? So look, context is important, okay? Context is super, super important here. Let me throw out to you, though, a few quotes that people have said about finances and why they are important to us. Why? Because honestly, I think sometimes we can take tithe and take it away from our finances holistically. We focus on the 10% without saying, what about the other 90 what do we do, not just with the 10, but what do we do with the other 90, right? Here's the thing, right? This has to be a, a holistic talk about finances. Let me tell you this, right? Martin, Martin Luther said this. There are three conversions a person must experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook, right? People can know who Jesus is, have, have a passion for him, but then it's like, get off my pocketbook, Jesus, right? It's like, you ain't getting that, right? Secondly, Randy, Randy Alcorn said this. He said, God sees our finances and our faith as inseparable. And then the, this guy, Jesus, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, um, Jesus said this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Essentially saying, what you treasure, what you invest in, what's, wh where, where your budget goes, it shows where your heart is. It shows what you value. It shows what you treasure. It shows what's important. And that is why, honestly, instead of just saying, well, tithe, you know, tithe, it's like we got to take a holistic look at our finances and say, is our budget, is 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 how we are seeing, viewing, and handling our finances 
showing what is truly important to us and what, and, and what we truly honor. But first, this, this word tithe. We must put it in its context, right? So look, I'm gonna go into some foundational building here, all right? So look, if someone's sleeping, you, you gotta give them a nudge, poke them in the eye, do whatever you gotta do, wake them up. But honestly, man, stuttering help, helps me here. Why? Because you'll probably be like, what's he gonna say next? Or you'll be hanging on the edge of your seat. Like, what's he, what word is he trying to actually get out? Someone actually said that to me the other day. The, they were like, I love hearing you preach because you stutter. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I'm like, because I never know what you're gonna say. I'm like, well, praise the Lord. Whatever you gotta do, Lord, to get people's attention. Let's... Let's go for it, okay? So look, we gotta build a case here for this whole thing, tithing, all right? Here's the thing, the Old Testament con context here, that this word tithe, and tithe, it simply means tenth, okay? So it's kinda like a tenth of, I don't know, if you've got 10 pieces of corn, tithing would be you take one of those corn stalks and kinda say, God, here you go. I'm gonna give this in your name, okay? So here's the thing, though. The, that word originated in the Old Testament. Okay, so think about the Old Testament con context though, right? So God created the world, created people, and then God said, I want to show myself to these people. Like, I'll, like here's the thing, I wanna show myself to these people and then show myself through, through people. Why? Because God has always chosen people to work through for some reason or whatever, but to show himself to people, he's always worked showing himself to and then through people. Right, So God wanted to have a, a people to show the world who he was and what, and, and what he was like. And, and what you see in Genesis 12, God chose Abraham. And God told Abraham, he said, hey, look, through you, the world is going to be blessed and the world is going to actually know me. You've heard that song, Father Abraham had many sons. Okay, no one wants to join, join, join in this morning. Okay, many sons have father, Abraham. What God was saying was, is through you, Abraham, I'm gonna create a whole nation that is going to show the world who I am and what, and what I'm like. And what you see, the first five books here, Genesis, Leviticus, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those five, five books there show the whole story of kind of how this people group, the Israelites, started and were formed and how God was trying to shape and mold and build a people group that God could show himself through and show the, the world who he was like and what he was. And, and so here's the thing, right? God knew if he was going to shape and form and build a people group, he was gonna have to get extremely detailed in telling them and showing them how to, how to handle every detail of their life. And that's why you see, right, how many of you, you've done a Bible reading plan, and then you get to the book of Leviticus. And you're like, what in God's name is going on here? Why is God telling them how to cut their hair? Why is God telling them what they can eat and what they can't eat? Why is God telling them how long they can sleep? Why is God telling them how they should actually worship? Why, why is God telling them what is right, what is wrong? Why? Because God was shaping and forming a people and telling them, this is what the people of God needs to do to shout who I am to all of these neighboring nations. He was forming himself a people, so God got really detailed. Because think about parents. When you're trying to form and shape your, your little kiddos, you're not just like, hey, do what you want, Johnny. Figure it out, right? You've got rules. You, you create patterns, you create rhythms for them. You create life rhythms. You're gonna go to bed at this time. You're gonna get up at this time. You're gonna go to these schools. You're gonna learn these, these, these particular things. So, so what we see here is 
God gave three different sorts of, of laws to the Israelites that were going to help shape and form them. And like I said, that we see primarily in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. Okay, and, and I guess you could say the three buckets that these specific laws went into were first off, moral laws. What is right, what is wrong. Two, ceremonial laws, how, how they should actually worship. And three, civil laws, how they should govern. And so, and so all of these laws, they came through Moses. And one of the things that God told Moses to tell his people as a principle and life rhythm to practice was this word, tithing. He told them, look, you're going to have to take 10%. Now, okay, 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 this is where I think you'll probably be like, huh? Actually, what we see in the Old Testament that Moses gave is there were actually three different tithes that Moses wrote, wrote down and Israelites were supposed to do. To, to, do and practice. The first tithe was this, the Levitical tithe, Numbers 18, 21, and 24. What this tithe was is, is they were supposed to give 10% of their finances, income, whatever that, that was, for the ceremonial aspect of things where, you know, the temple priest, the, the ceremonial worship stuff, it was basically saying give 10% so y'all can have a place to worship in, the, in this country, in this place, in this people that I'm building. But there was also a second tithe. There was also tithe of the feast, where here's the thing. God said, look, give 10% to to the government so y'all can have massive parties. Well, what a cool God we serve, (laughs) all right? And and I mean, here's the thing, right? He basically said, look, give 10%. It was called the festival tithe. So then they could go and they could have like nationwide parties, we serve a great God, y'all. He's the God of the party, right? But it's probably not the kind of party you're thinking, okay? Uh, thirdly, though, there, there was also a tithe, and tithe there is actually a, ba- a bad word. What he said was, is, look, 3%, you know, 3 and one-third percent, over three years, you need to give to the, to, to the poor, which ended up being a tithe over three, you know, over three years. So scholars actually say, what people were required to give in the Old Testament as Israelites was actually 23% of their income. Now, what the church does and what we've kind of, of taken dibs on as the church is we've said, oh, so the Israelites gave 10% to fund worship. So Christians are like, well, we're not necessarily Israelites. We're not really the Israelites, but at the same time, we're the people that God shows himself through. In the Old Testament, God chose a people group. Now in the New Covenant, God has chosen Jesus. Jesus came, and we're trying to be like Jesus now, and he formed the church to come together to be his expression to the world of who God is and what God's like. So it's like, if we're, since we're not Israelites, but we're technically the people that God shows himself through, maybe we should just take this whole tithing to the temple thing and start applying it to the church. Now, the interesting thing is, is that once you jump into the New Testament, you struggle to find where, where this whole tithing, given 10% thing, shifts over. 
Because then you're kind of like, okay, Jesus mentioned it a couple times whenever he was bashing Pharisees. Because Pharisees, they were there ripping people off, you know, telling them to tithe, 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 but treating them like junk. You know, and Jesus was like, look, you know what? Um, you, should, you should not just, just tithe, but you should also treat people nice. And what he was saying, though, he was speaking to Pharisees, Israelites, is who he was speaking to. And then there's honestly one other verse in Hebrews that sort of kind of refers to tithing, but it is not in the context of telling or imploring Christians to actually practice it. It was a reference to the priesthood. And honestly, besides that, the concept of tithing doesn't translate much into the New Testament. So really the question that we're asking is, does tithing actually, contextually, is it binding on Christians today? Is Malachi 3 binding on us? Is it if we don't tithe, we're cursed? Is it if we tithe, God's going to open up blessings on us? And, and here's the thing, like I said, you could build arguments both ways, but personally, I do not see a precedent throughout the totality of Scripture that would bind Christians to the concept of tithing. Some of y'all are like, oh, I knew I liked this church. I knew I liked it. I knew there was something holy and anointed about this place. However, this is a but, and a very big but. What we see about Jesus, Jesus had this whole thing of raising the bar. Okay, you can see Old Testament, Jesus came on and, and Jesus said things like, you know, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery with someone else's spouse, right? But then he said, um, let, let me raise that a little bit. And he said, not only should you not do the physical act, you shouldn't even think about it. He took this standard and raised it and said, it's not just, just about what you physically do, it's now about what you think and the heart motive behind it, right? Jesus said, look, you shouldn't murder, but when you take a brother or sister and call them idiot or jerk or moron, you're not physically murdering them, but you're actually insulting and killing some, somebody that God created in his image with your words because our words have power. So Jesus has had this concept of taking things in the Old Testament and raising the bar. Now here's the thing, right? I think in the New Testament, we don't see giving or a percentage in giving really defined. Instead, what we see is giving described instead of defined. Okay, let me say that one one more time, I, I believe when we get out of the Old Testament context of tithing and we get into the New Testament, we see giving less defined as in give this and it's more described, meaning your giving has these certain traits to it. Let me show you what these traits are. First, first off, the first trait that we see taught, taught in the New Testament, Would you guys go to the next slide. It's gotta be free of guilt. This is what 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
That is why we, we say here, we will never guilt you into giving. We will never bring a destitute child up here and guilt you into feeling bad for giving. Why? Because that is not acting out, out of the heart or out of discipline. It's acting out of, well, I feel bad. I'm going to give this, this one time. It doesn't change your heart. And plus two, we will never condemn or guilt you. Here's what we want to do. We want to inspire you to give. We don't want to guilt you. We don't want to throw the guilt train on you. We don't want to, no, here's what we want to do is we want to say, man, you don't have to give. You get to give. You get to invest in the kingdom. You get to invest in what God is doing. As well. You get to invest in the kingdom of God and how God is working in this city. So we can see here, it is very important. What we see in this is that God is not a God that's guilting you. We don't want to be a church that just guilts you into giving. The second quality is this, and it's the same scripture. It's cheerful. Like, how awesome would it be if whenever we said, we're going to receive the offering today, people are like, whoa, let's go, let's go. Like, man, we get to give today. We get to invest in the kingdom of God. Like, we get to do this. Like, that, that is what my vision is, right? Whenever he says cheerful, it's like, man, we get to invest in eternity. We get to invest to see people know Jesus, right? And, and here's the thing, right? Like, I, I would love for us to just get excited about the offering and not because it's like, honestly, we can get into the, oh, here we go. Yeah, here's my 20, Jesus. You're going to get on my back. You know, it's like, you know, and, and here's the thing, right? We can just get into this whole, like, thing of, of, of just, it's just an act we do. There's nothing behind it. It's just something we do to keep God happy in, instead of something that we are inspired by. Cheerful, not I have to, but I get to. Thirdly, what we see, and this is what I think changes the whole game, is we see this concept of generosity, even sacrificial giving. Where, here's the thing, right? First Timothy 6, 17 through 20 says this. It says, command those who are rich in this present world. Y'all are like, oh good, well that's not me. It's about someone else. Y'all, if you live in this country, billions of people in this world live on $1 per day. Okay, here's the, here's the thing, right? Our world isn't the world. We compare ourselves to what, to what other people have most of the time in, instead of what some other people have in, in different nations, things like that. Here's the thing, our world isn't the world. We've got to interpret our circumstances, not just through what we experience here, but through what's going on globally, right? So here's the thing, I think whenever, whenever the commanders who are rich, he's not talking about someone that's a, a billionaire or trillionaire, he's, he, he's talking to us. Commanders who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the, for the coming age so that they may take over the life that is true to life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. What he's saying here is like, look, the concept here is, is generosity, but who the heck knows what generous is? How do you define that? So here's the thing, if far, if if our giving is supposed to be characterized as what? Cheerful? 
not under compulsion, not under guilt, but generous. So how do we define what generous is? Because probably what is generous to you isn't generous to someone else. What is generous to someone else? It's very relative, isn't it? So if we're called to be generous, how in the heck do we know what the heck generous is? Statistics show Christians, in totality, give a combined 2% to the church. Some give more, some give less, okay? I think that we would all agree that probably 2% really isn't that generous, right? Here's the thing, right, that we, we, we've got to clearly see the culture that we're in, okay? The culture is yelling at you and shaping you and forming you and trying to disciple you to tell you what you have isn't good enough. Every day, marketing is showing you, oh, you got the iPhone 7, you need the iPhone 10. Because that phone you got, you, you need to have coffee dripping. Like, you need the coffee app. And coffee will pour out of that phone and into your cup. And it's just, um, it's just um, you know, it's like, it's like, you need more, you need better, you need, you need something else because what you have is not good enough. We're bombarded daily. You need to do this, you need to do that. You need to invest in this and that. And we can get so confused and we can get so infused with, with what our culture deems as being valuable and important. And where did, what, and what typically is a byproduct of that? What, what we find important, what we find valuable, our budget flows that way. So I think we need to understand the cultural context we live in, in this moment. Get a bigger house, get a, get, get a bigger car, get more, 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 more. Here's the thing, right? Um, I think the first, the, the first concept for us to, to actually change the way we think about money. Because honestly, guys, that's what this whole talk is, y'all. I'm not trying to bash tithing. I'm not trying for Here's the thing. I want you to shift the core values inside of your life and, and heart and what you think ultimately about money and its purpose. Right? The first concept is, right, we are stewards, not owners. A steward is someone that manages what has been entrusted to them. A steward is not an owner. Scripture tells us clearly, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. You know what that means? He owns everything. Okay, Scripture says that God's given us everything for our enjoyment. It's all his. And in Matthew 25, we see the, the, the parable of the steward where it talks about Jesus entrusts people with different stuff. And they are called to then take what has been and what has been entrusted in what has been entrusted to them, take it and invest it and get a return on what Jesus has entrusted to you. In the church, we use this, this terminology, mainly your time, your talent, and treasure. A big part of that is your treasure, though. Right? Here's the thing. You have been entrusted. God has entrusted you with a certain income. Some of y'all got a lot. Some of y'all don't. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter what you've been entrusted with. It matters how you're investing it. Some of us get it. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm not. It does, God isn't concerned with how much. He is concerned with how are you using it. And here's the thing. Investing it. Stewards are investors. Owners spend, stewards invest. That's what the, the difference is. So here's the thing. If you are a steward and what you have has been given to you by God and you, and you have been, and, and you have been and trusted with it, typically you're going to invest what you have in three different buckets. Okay, these three buckets are, and, and this came from the book God and money, which here, here's the thing. Like, you need to get this book. 
Like if you're concerned about what God says about finances and, and, and what God thinks and how as stewards we should actually live, I would highly, highly encourage you to pick up this book. It is phenomenal. It's Christian guys written by two by two Harvard Business School graduates. These guys are super, super smart. They've done great research. Um, and the great thing is they're Christ followers who wanna see the kingdom of God forwarded. Okay, this book though says you are going to, to invest in, in this lifetime in three different buckets. Since you're a steward, not an owner, you're going to invest in three different buckets. The first one's this. You're going to, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, here's the thing. You're gonna be a spender, a saver or serving? Or here's the thing, spending, saving, or serving. You, you can see right behind me, okay? So what he says, right? You're going to, as a spender, invest in the present. What you see, what's, what you can feel, touch, do, what is right here, right now. Secondly, some of y'all are gonna invest in the future. That's what saving is, right? But then you have serving, which is, which is investing in eternity, ministry, people, the forwarding the kingdom, okay? And um, the truth is, right, whenever we do premarital counseling, we have them take this premarital assessment tool that, that gives us a background of what they think about finances and kind of if they're more a saver or spender. And isn't it true, husbands and wives here, that typically y'all are one or the other. You know, your wife might be a spender. Husband, you might be a saver, right? Husband, you might be a spender. Your wife might be the saver. And what I've seen is typically opposites attract. I've seen this like in every single assessment tool that we've done. Typically opposites attract, all, always, all right? It, it was funny. Personally, Kristen, she's in kids, right? She's in kids ministry? Okay, good. She's, she's in, just wanted to make sure. Because I got in trouble one time. She wasn't in kids. I thought she was. Uh, she's a spender. I'm a saver, so that's why in our house I do, I do the finances. But it was so funny. She texted me last week, and she said, I love her. She said, John, I somehow spent $80 at Target. She said, she said, I accidentally, she said, I accidentally spent $8 at Target. And so me, I'm picturing this in my head, because I'm honestly a little hot, right? Because I'm like, babe, you got the budget, you know what the thing is. And, 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 so, and so I'm just thinking, oh, John, I don't know what happened. Stuff just started jumping into my cart. And I just was walking, and just toys grew legs, and Jumped into my car. There was nothing I could do, and I was a total victim to my circumstances. It's like, <laughs> like you accidentally spent eighty dollars. Like, I love you, baby. That's all I could say. Right? Like, I love you, babe. You're so cute. Uh, but that is, but that's coming out of your next uh, allowance. Now I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but I mean, she, she just, you know, spent. She just, oh, I just spent my. I can't believe it. And then you got some. They're like tightwads. Like, no, the future, the world's ending. Jesus is coming back. We got to save. We got to keep money, keep, keep, keep. So they, they, they just put all the money in savings. They don't want to spend nothing now. And, and you know what I'm saying? And here's the thing. Not, neither of those are right or wrong. 
But that was right. They're just different, right? And, and, and that's what we tell future couples is, look, your particular style isn't bad. It's just different. So now you've got to learn to what? Leverage those two things, find balance in them, and make sure that, you know, if you've got a spender, they probably shouldn't do the finances. Okay, if, if, if you have a saver, they would probably be more apt, you know. But, but it's just like, look, like you got to find your flow, and, and that's what we tell couples. It's like you got to find your flow, work it out, fail a couple times, figure it out. But the thing is this, right, is, is, is making sure, because here's the thing. We need to invest in our future. We need to invest in the present to have fun and enjoy people and enjoy life, definitely so. But here's the thing. When, when those two things eat up, everything to where you can't invest in eternity that that is is an honesty where where i think we've we've got to actually take a recount and say okay how are we not just investing in the present how are we not just investing in the in the future but how are we investing in eternity to to see the kingdom of god forwarded why cuz y'all honestly it takes money to reach People. Some of y'all are like, well, gee, I mean, good Lord, Jesus just walked around and healed people and people started following him. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the, of the kingdom. So he was out there preaching. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and Diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. That's scary. Uh, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many, and, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. You know what that means? Jesus was supported. Jesus had people investing in his ministry. Jesus had women, it says. It highlights women. Yeah, you go women. Because honestly, women most of the time are a tad bit more generous. Guys mainly, let's be honest, we're a tad bit more skeptical. And we're a tad bit more like, you ain't getting my money, dude. I don't know you, right? That's the way we are. I was like that, especially time, especially timeshare stuff. And, you know, I tried to have a timeshare sold to you. Whew. Had to ask God for forgiveness after that one. Um, the thing is, though, the thing is, though, it takes money. It, it, takes, it, it, it takes people investing in eternity to see people reached. And here's the thing, right? I'm not here trying to be like, give a percentage, like you, or, you know, or telling you, throwing the Bible at you. The word says this, do it. I'm not saying, saying that. I'm not trying to get you to, here's what I, here is what my prayer is, is that you would catch a passion for people. You would catch a passion for the Great Commission. You would catch a, a deep, innate passion and desire to see people reached with the gospel. You would catch a vision of the church that is far beyond just here right now, who is in this room. You would actually give to see people that aren't here reached. That, here's the thing, that we would have a vision to see what can be, not just what is. And the, we would say, man, I get to invest. I get to decide. And, and I say, look, this is what we say here at this church. When someone asks me, well, what do you believe about giving? What do you, do, what do you, what do you believe about giving? This is, so 
this is the terminology frame, framework verbiage we've come up with. We want people to be priority. Where's them three Ps at? Pastors and, and letters lining up. I tell you what, alliteration. It's what we do well, right? Proactive, priority, percentage-based giving. Pro, proactive meaning this. We don't give out of, out of what's left over. We don't say, well, God, I got 20 bucks left this month here. It's saying, no, we have prayerfully considered how we can be offensive instead of, of defensive. Priority meaning you see the purpose and vision of the church, meaning you've caught the vision of, man, we get to give to this thing. We don't, we, we don't have to give. We get to give. And thirdly, you have prayed about and decided on a percentage for, for you that is sacrificial and generous. And you give it cheerfully. You don't feel guilt about it. And it's generous. And those are the principles that we see in, in Scripture, y'all, of what it means to be a financial investor in the church in eternity and seeing people come to know Christ. And that's what we tell people. We don't want guilt. We don't want you given to, to just appease Jesus. We want you to catch a vision for the church. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Here's the thing, right? Think about what it would cost to do the following. Okay, so, so this thing, right? If we wanted to do the, the following stuff, sponsor one million full-time indigenous, full-time missionaries in poor nations around the world, provide full resources for the global malaria campaign, quadruple the global missions budget for reaching unevangelized nations, provide food, clothing, and shelter to all 6.5 million refugees across Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, triple the global Bible trans, translation budget, Fund 150,000 seminary scholarships for promising students in emerging economics or in emerging economies. Double the operating budget of World Vision. Establish eight new Christian universities around the world and hire 25,000 additional American missionaries to work on college campuses. That would cost $20 billion. That's a big chunk, ain't it? Statistics show from, from, from that book, God Over money that United States Christians annually bring in $5 trillion in income a year. So if we put all, you know, if we said, hey, look, man, we're going to, you know, do this thing, it would be um, like 0.04% of what Christians annually make. Why do I tell you that? Um, not for guilt, like I said. I tell you that because it takes money, but here's the thing, strategic investment to see the kingdom of God forwarded. Um, also, too, let me ask you this. What, which of these in, investments, spending, saving, serving, have the best ROI? Because here's the thing, let's just be honest, man. If, if you got money and you want to invest, you know what you're saying? What's in it for me? What kind of investment am I going to get on this? What's the ROI? One of my, I guess you could call it, newfound heroes is this guy named Doyce Rosser. You've probably never heard of him. He's 97 years old right now, as you can tell. 
Um, I tell you, he has been been a successful businessman. Um, he he was the chairman for many many years of the Pomoco Auto Group locally here. To sum it up quickly, he was a very successful businessman. Garnered great, great, great wealth, multi-million, I mean, multi-millions of dollars. His, his car dealerships did great. His investments have done great. And just, just talk about, I mean, just someone that had it rich. And honestly, somebody with that kind of net worth, he, you know, he hits his 60s, and he's pretty much at that point where it's like, look, man, he can move to Florida, play a whole lot of golf, take a lot of European vacations, uh, eat, sleep, and be merry until it's time to die. And let's just be honest, that's what our world teaches is the good life. Get enough retirement, save it up, build it up, and whenever you can, get to Florida as fast as you can because it's warm, play a buttload of golf, travel, do your thing, right? That, that's what our world says. Well, thing was, in his, in his early 60s, right before he hit retirement, he was uh, attending a Bible study, men's Bible study. Right at that point, he hits retirement age. The gospel gets in him. Here's the thing. He did just, just have a conversion in his mind, a conversion in his heart. The conversion took over his pocketbook. Um, and what he decided to do, what the Holy Spirit led him to do, is to take his wealth, to take his inheritance. He had done some some overseas traveling and just saw these African tribes out in the middle meeting in just like midair. And he was like, they need a building. They need a church building to meet in. So do you know what? He started funding those and then he saw the opportunity to see this thing take off and explode. So, so, he, did, so he decided to, to start something called ICM, International Cooperative Ministries, which is our community partner this month. Um, while, while this was all starting, he had three daughters. And um, what he felt God leading him to do was to sit them down and explain to them and tell them, uh, hey, uh, hey, daughters, um, the Holy Spirit's leading us to take our inheritance, which is quite substantial, and invest it into building into building churches and, tra and translating theological training into different languages. So, so, so in his book, The God Who Hung on the Cross, he actually explains what this experience looked like, where he was there, and he said he had to bring his daughters in, and he was sitting them down, and he was so nervous and scared of telling them, hey, guys, how are y'all doing today? We're, we're going to uh, not leave anything to you. We're gonna make sure you're not like, you know, poor or whatever, or, or that you're like struggling, but at the same time, we're gonna take it and we're gonna invest it in the Great Commission. And so Doyce talks about this whole thing. He sat him down and told them and explained to them what he was gonna do is we're gonna take the, we're gonna invest it into eternity. And one of his daughters chimed in. He actually notes this in his book. This was her response. I'm trying to say this without crying. This is what his daughter told him. I can't do it. 
Y'all can read it. All right, I'm gonna try. My true inheritance. The one I valued as an exquisite gift has been the model of your love for Christ. And how you've lived that way, how you've lived that love in a way that is concrete and compassionate in line with the Great Commission. That's my real inheritance. That's what I want to pass on to my own children. I just want to say, parents, the most important thing you give to your kids isn't what you give to them, it's what you leave in them. It's the kind of, it's, it's the kind of person you resemble. It's your love for Christ. That's what you need to pass down. I know you're working hard. I know you're trying to leave something to to them, but don't just focus on leaving something to them. Focus on leaving something in them. I just think this is so powerful. You're like, John, well, I'm not going to leave my whole inheritance. Look, I don't think, here's the thing, right? The Holy Spirit told him to do that. That was his conviction. But I just love because what he did went totally against the cultural norm of just invest in the present. Get yourself fat and happy until you die. Just live it up for, for you, baby. Or it was like, invest in the future. Just, you know what, make sure your generations after you are just taken care of and da, 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 da. Just, 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 you know, you never know what's gonna happen. You wanna have this, that, and the other thing is like, no, do you know, we're gonna invest in eternity. We're, when, when, and when, here's the thing, when he stands before God and when we stand, stand before God and we give an account of what we've been entrusted with, what are we gonna tell God? ICM, the company he started 30 years ago, currently has built 8,400 churches and has planted thousands of daughter churches in 93 different countries. Their curriculum to teach and train indigenous pastors and, and leaders has been translated into over 50 different languages. The ROI, they say, stats say, they have influenced over one million people to follow Christ. I just imagine, what if he would have went to Florida and played it easy? What if he would have went to Florida and just said golf, suntan, retirement? And that is the same concern that I've got for us. What if, what if we play it safe? What if we just have this concept of what we think success is in this country and what we think the ultimate goal is? Are we missing the very heart of Jesus? Are we missing the very point of, the, uh, are, are we missing the very point of this whole thing? I'm gonna close with this par parable Jesus spoke. And then we're gonna be done. This is called, this is not a very nice parable. This is called the parable of the rich fool. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. It's a very nice name. It says this though. Can we put that up there? All right. Someone in the crowd said, said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. 
he told them this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So someone like invested and got a really good return and they got rich. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. So I'll get more. I got more, so I should build more. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry, move to Florida, play golf, and retire. This is the John Ware version. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will, will, will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Here's the thing, guys. I'm not saying this is, here's the thing, this cuts to our hearts. This goes beyond tithing. This goes beyond just your temple, whatever. This cuts into the very deep core of what you're even striving and working for. It cuts to that. Are you even in this thing? Are you just in this thing so you can play life easy? Or are you in it to say, I get to invest in the kingdom of God with my time, talent, and treasure so the great commission can be made known? Fam, that's why you're on this planet. That's why you're on this earth. Hopefully that's why you are in this church. That's what we're trying to raise up here as people that say it's not about us. The kingdom of God takes preferences over everything. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.